Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. But <laughs> we'll see. Uh, now we'll turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, we hear God's Word this morning from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. Uh, so, uh, last week, we started 1 Peter, and we spent time focusing on the, the greeting with meaning in 1 Peter, the greeting in which Peter showed the people of God to whom he was writing how they were identified by the very nature of God himself as one God in three persons. This next section of 1 Peter kind of continues the same idea. As you're reading it, you'll see that there's a lot of talk here of, you are this, you are that. Peter continues to simply declare to his, to his readers who they are. And we're cutting off actually before he tells them what to do, but it's worth understanding as you listen to this that the, this is the, the precursor to therefore be holy is, is basically the next section. But it's important to spend time here understanding what is Peter giving us as the motivation for holiness. Um, but this is not just as a motivation for holiness, but that is where it is leading to commands about what we should do, how we should act. But first we have to know who we are. And in particular, who we are when we see so much suffering around us. Because it doesn't, Peter doesn't come right out and say it, but you'll see as you hear that the context for this is his readers are experiencing suffering. Uh, he greeted them as elect exiles. People who are in exile are not usually in the best of circumstances. If they're in exile, they're suffering at least to some degree. And so when we look around the world all around us and we think there's a lot of suffering in the world, or we look at our own lives and think, man, this is hard. Peter's writing to us. He's writing to people who are a lot like us, who are suffering in a lot of similar ways to us. So let's read now from God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your word that your servant Peter wrote down and sent to your people in the churches all around Asia so long ago. We pray now that just 
as he wrote your words, your people back then, that this would be your word for us today. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take this word and sink it deep into us. That it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts. Changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I have, I have this mystery bag here. So, kids, do you think I should let you know what's in it right away? Or do you want to wait for it? You, you, yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. So what I have in the mystery bag is I have a magic eight ball. Now, some of you may see, say that this is entirely inappropriate to have in church altogether, and I, I respect that, but just hang with me here. If you, know, if you know what a magic eight ball is, the idea of the magic eight ball is that you can ask it questions and that you shake it and it gives you answers. So if I want to know, are the commanders going to win this afternoon? I shake it and it says, as I see it, yes. Ooh, ooh. that alone tells us that the magic eight ball is not, is not so good. How about, how about next week? Are the commanders going to win the Super Bowl? Outlook not so good. Maybe it is. So these, these magic eight balls, they just, you, know, you shake it and it, it tells you answers. Sometimes it says yes, sometimes it says no, sometimes it says, why don't you ask me again? You know, we can look at this and we can see it as kind of a fun toy, right? Or whatever. It's, it's, it's real easy to tell how this works, right? It's not hard to look inside and understand the inner workings of the magic eight ball. But certainly, we would not want to use something like this to try to answer questions like, what's going to happen in my life? Is this suffering going to end? Am I going to be reconciled? Am I going to have the money that I need? Is God going to provide for me? What's going to happen to our church? What's going to happen to my children? What's going to happen with my family? What's going to happen with our country? All these are questions that go so far beyond the magic eight ball. And yet so often when we hear things like we hear in 1 Peter, we hear about hope. We say hope. And it's so easy to think that hope is something like a magic eight ball. To think that our hope is just, oh, maybe it will happen. I hope that something good happens. I hope that the commanders win. That kind of hope is not good enough when we're hoping for peace in the world, when we're hoping for the restoration and reconciliation, when we're hoping for a better job, when we're hoping for more, for more peace and security in our life. That kind of hope that is just a guess is not enough. And yet when we get in the midst of suffering, sometimes it feels like that's all there is. When will this ever end? And so we lose hope and because we, we think, I'm going to turn instead to, I'm not, I'm not a cynic, I'm just a realist, right? This is never going to change. This is never going to get better. And in the midst of suffering, we fail but, and we fall. But what Peter wants us to see, what Peter wanted his readers to see then, and what he wants us to see today, is that our hope is not at all like a magic eight ball. Our hope is not even that you might think better. Well, you might say, well, I'm not, I'm not just going on the eight ball. I'm just hoping that God will do something. That sounds a whole lot better. I hope that God will act. I hope that God will look favorably. But what Peter is telling us is even better than that. Not just hope that God will, but the hope that Peter is talking about is a confidence that God has done. If you look at the way that Peter is talking Everything he talks about, if we, go, if we go grammatical here for a minute and talk about verb tense, 
Everything he's talking about is done. He has caused us to be born again, done, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, he's not talking about something that is going to happen. He's talking about something that is already there. Our inheritance, our eternal life, the resurrection of our bodies, as Peter's talking about it, it is done. What are we waiting for? Verse 5, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not that we're waiting for the salvation to happen. It's not that we're guessing and predicting and wanting God to do something in the future. Peter's pointing us to reality that already exists. All that we are waiting for is for it to be revealed. Though you have not, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's, there is a sense of looking to the future, but not with any kind of uncertainty. This is simply a hope that is reality now that all we are waiting for is not to see what God will do, but we are waiting to see revealed finally what God has already done. It is everything Peter says here is sure and secure. What is the basis of it though? What is it that Peter is pointing to? So that's words, 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 words. Where does this all come from? It's back at the beginning. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is Peter's key. The key here is that the resurrection of Jesus, the literal physical resurrection on a day in history, the resurrection that Peter as near as anybody witnessed firsthand, first one to the tomb to say, one of the first few people to the tomb to say, he is not here. He saw it. He's saying that happened literal day in history. I saw it. And because of that, everything is Sure, everything is already accomplished. See, it's the resurrection of Jesus that guarantees our hope. And so then what is the outcome for us? If the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our hope, then we can persevere through suffering. This does not take away the reality of suffering. We cannot lose sight of that, that in all the talk of imperishable and unfading and glory and all these things, it's glory through suffering. There is always going to be suffering. There is suffering in this life. It is simply the way that it is. But that confidence gives us the hope, that confidence in the resurrection gives us the hope that we can persevere through suffering. Because Peter is actually showing us both why we have to go through that suffering and what the outcome of that suffering is going to be with the confidence that the resurrection is guaranteeing it. So three, three aspects to this guarantee, this way that the resurrection is guarantees our hope and powers us to persevere through suffering. First is Peter's giving us an example that Christ passed through suffering to glory. Christ passed through suffering to glory. Secondly, Peter's giving us a reason that our suffering actually refines our faith. So we've got the example and we've got the reason, and then he gives us some confidence for it, that the suffering and the glory were predicted in advance. So we've got a, an example, 
of reason, and we've got our confidence. So first, the example that Christ passed through suffering to glory. This is, this is kind of in the background, but he makes it explicit at the end in verse 11, when he predicted, uh, when he's talking about the prophets who prophesied, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so Peter's pointing us to the example of Jesus. He's pointing his first readers, he's pointing us, when he says, hey, you're going through suffering right now? Christ too went through suffering. And Christ went through suffering to glory. And this is more, oftentimes we talk about Christ's suffering, we talk about his suffering as his sympathy for us. And that's so important, right? You know, what do we want when, when we're in a hard time? We don't always, we often talk about how we don't, we don't need advice. We don't need, uh, you know, we don't need words. We need somebody to be there with us. And it is right to see that Jesus came down and suffered in this life to be here with us. And yet Peter is pointing to so much more than just a, I'm here with you. Peter is pointing that the route to glory for Jesus was through suffering. And that actually this is part of the entire work of God in this world, him turning this whole world upside down. That the, the suffering of Jesus was not just a temporary blip on the way to glory. Not just if I can get through this, then one day it'll be good. Put in the work now. You know, put in the work now and you'll have a great payoff later. Work hard all through your 20s and 30s, and then you can relax when you're 40. I don't think it works. Some people say so. But, but what do you do when you get to your, when you, you make your million? No, no, but I don't think anybody here has made their million dollars. So certainly not me, right? It doesn't work. And if you do, the years that you're working for that are miserable, and the payoff's not what you think. But what Jesus said, what Peter is saying about Jesus is that suffering was not just a blip on the road to glory. Suffering was the path to glory. The glory of Jesus was in his suffering. The glory of Jesus was at the cross. Jesus was enthroned in part at the cross. When he came and he died for us, the whole kingdom of God is turned into this upside down reality where the glory comes part and parcel of suffering and service to others. And so this is Jesus's, the, the example that Peter is giving us is saying, hey, your suffering is the route to glory. This is the way of the king. The way of King Jesus is not climbing to the top of the pyramid to have the power. It's going to the bottom of the pyramid as servant of all. And so he points us to the reality here as we look at that example of Jesus that our suffering is not simply abstract. Our suffering is for the sake of others. It's not always obvious for us to see how that is. But one of the things we can do with this practically is when we feel ourselves suffering, when we feel the weight of the world upon us, is to reflect on what it actually means for other people. What are we, as we go through, as we go through tired, sleepless nights, who is it for? As we work and work beyond what we think we can to serve others, who are we serving? Who are we helping? What good is it doing? So much of what we endure in this world really is for the sake of others. So not Peter, but Paul, the other great apostle, wrote lots of letters in the New Testament, said, I fill up in my body the sufferings that were lacking 
to bring to you the work of Jesus. That's kind of a paraphrase. It's not exactly what he said. But that's basically the, uh, the idea that he's saying that he continued to suffer, that people might know the truth about Jesus, that they might see through Paul's life, through his example, through his teaching, that he poured himself out, sleepless nights, constant anxiety for, his, for the churches that he had started, the people that he cared for, because he was following the example of Christ, that going through suffering is the route to glory, and that as we go through that with Christ as our example, as our king, we're becoming closer to Jesus in that. And so then once we understand that suffering is not just a temporary blip on the road to some kind of luxurious glory, but is in fact the route to the glory of the kingdom, we can see what Peter's talking about in his, his reasoning in verse 7. Uh, starting in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why do we go through suffering? We go through the suffering, we said already, for, it's the route of Jesus, it's for the service of others, but Peter points us here too that the suffering, our suffering refines our faith. It's, it's really easy to come together, uh, to come to, to go to church, to worship God when everything's going well. Say, hey, I like the people here. The music's fantastic. The bagels are tasty. The chairs are comfortable. I mean, some of these things are true. Some of them are less true, right? <laughs> this is not exactly the place. It's not exactly a place to come to have all your, your creature comforts met. Uh, the music is good. The bagels are pretty good too. Chairs, you know, chairs are all right. But, uh, you know, but, but, you know, I like the people here. It's, it, it can be easy to get together to feel like people like you, to be in a place where everybody's happy. But what about when it's hard, when it's a lot of work to make it happen, when people turn out to be sinners and they say unkind things, and they give the cold shoulder, and the bagels and the coffee aren't there anymore, and the music's kind of flat, and you're not feeling it. And then you start to see, you start to see your faith. You say, I'm still coming. I'm still coming because there's something here that goes beyond any of the individual things. Why did you come to church this morning? Did you come for a friendly face? Did you come for a good song? Did you come for a nice thought from, from the Bible? I say, I don't, I don't know why I came. I just came because I needed to be here. It's a good answer. I came because this is where God is. For you today, this is where God is. He may not, he may not be obvious. He may not feel him all the time. But faith says that God is here in the midst of his people. And we come and worship him. We arrange our schedules. We make sacrifices. We put up with inconvenience. We go through lots of hardship and we see the genuineness of our faith to see that we come together for the worship of God in ways that go beyond understanding. You may not feel it every week and that's okay because he understands. He understands exactly who each one of us is. He understands exactly how you feel. But as we go through suffering, as we go through hardship, as we make those difficult, uh, we, we take those steps to forgive, to not hold grudges against people, to seek reconciliation, 
to seek healing, our faith becomes more clear. And we follow more and more our King Jesus on that path to glory. Telling you the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We found with praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. We know where this is ultimately going. Our faith is made more clear through our suffering. The third thing uh, that Peter gives us that is a little bit hard to understand at first, he seems to change direction uh, in verse 10. All of a sudden he's talking about the prophets. You know, like, where did, where did the prophets, why, why, Peter? Why the prophets? Why does this matter? Why are you talking about the prophets? What Peter's giving is a little shot of confidence for our faith. Because you could read this and you could say, like, okay, Peter, you saw, okay, all right, granted, resurrected from the dead. That's pretty cool. I'll give you that. But, like, really? Does it really mean all this? And Peter reaches way back and he says, hey, 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 here's the thing. All of this was predicted in advance. That's the point of the prophets. The point of the prophets is Peter is saying, this suffering and this was not some accident on God's part where Jesus came down to earth and then all of a sudden, like, oh my goodness, people don't like him. I thought everybody was going to like him and they killed him. Well, we raise him from the dead. Okay, what? God is not just like running around making things up as he goes. God had this all planned out and he revealed it to the prophets and they predicted it in advance. In, in the adult Sunday school class this morning, uh, they were looking at Isaiah 53, where God pre- predicted through Isaiah, God spoke to Isaiah, what was going to happen to Jesus in really remarkable detail, in a remarkable picture of a suffering servant, one who would suffer that others might be healed, one who would suffer that others might be saved, one who would see glory even through his suffering. He predicted all of this in advance so that we might have confidence that when it happened, that it was not an accident. And so that the suffering we are going through right now is no accident either. But if God predicted and planned the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus for glory and for our salvation, then he has a purpose for our suffering as well. And he will walk us through that. And so we may not have We may not have eyes to see exactly what God has planned. We may not ever get to see exactly what God has planned. I said earlier that our suffering is for the sake of others, and I'm sure many of you were thinking like, I don't really see it. Not this kind of suffering. And I can't tell you how it is. But God knows. God knows how he is working all these things out. How he took the the great act of evil, the great what seemed to be the great victory of Satan, to turn that into the salvation of the world. He too can turn all the evil that we experience in this world right now, all the attack of Satan on the followers of Jesus, all the chaos that seems to reign throughout this world, somehow God is turning this around to turn it to glory because he had this all planned out from the beginning and so he has it planned out now. So we are not relying on any kind of magic eight ball hope. We're not just going to buy lotto tickets, hoping that maybe this is going to work out at the end. We have the sure resurrection of Jesus. The confidence from the prediction of the prophets, knowing that as we go through suffering, we're following the path of Jesus and we are being refined in our faith. And this is what I cling to. When I doubt, I know I've said this, but I've said this a lot of times, but I'll keep saying it. 
Because sometimes, sometimes when you feel what's going on in the world or even in your own life, sometimes it's the little things. Like, really, God? Really? Like, late today? Like, do I have to be? Like, no parking? Like, sometimes those are, come on, come on. There could be something. When, and when it all starts to come falling down, when you start to doubt, and I start to question, I say, well, but Jesus rose from the dead. And there's no other explanation for what happened 2,000 years ago than Jesus actually died and actually rose again. And if Jesus actually rose from the dead, there's no other explanation that makes sense than that he really was the Son of God, God come to earth. And if he really was the Son of God come to earth, then he really was speaking truth. And his apostles, like Peter, really are speaking truth. It really is all true. And it all flows from the resurrection of Jesus. And we cling to that when nothing else seems to be there that we can hold on to. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the confidence that you give us that Jesus really died, he really rose again. And that through that, uh, you have set us on a path of suffering for glory. Would you show us more and more what that means? That as we experience hardship in this world, as we suffer, as we serve, as we sacrifice, would you show us the glory of Jesus in that? That we are headed to glory and life with you forever. We give you all praise and glory. Pray that you would strengthen this the reality in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.